Well, good morning. Grateful to see you today. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. My name is Ed Travers. I'm one of the Campus Life Pastors here at our campus in Lewis Center. Want to say a great big welcome to everyone who's listening online today. Also, our special guests from First Baptist Church in Woodsfield, Ohio. Grateful to have you with us today. Uh, I wonder if you would do me a favor. If you are newish to LifePoint, could you take out your phone and turn on the camera and put it on a QR code on a chair in front of you. That'll take you to a landing page we call lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. So all the information you wanna find out about our church, you can see there at that landing page. There are a couple features I wanna draw your attention to. One of those is the uh, sermon notes. So you can follow along as I'm speaking today and they're interactive so you can write your own notes and actually email those to yourself if you want a record of what is your kind of thinking through today as I'm, as I'm talking. Um, there's also another feature that's the guest information button. If you hit that button, uh, whether this is, if you've been around a little bit but you haven't checked in with us, do this, please. Check in, put a little bit of information in there, and then let us know how you heard about LifePoint. That's really important to us as we uh, wanna know how to get word out about what the God is doing here at our church. Um, and then scroll down, and you're gonna see six different ministries from all of our campuses that we support. And if you find one that you like, just check the box, and we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry to say thank you uh, just for checking in with us today. It's a great way to connect with all the guests at all of our campuses today uh, to do something really good. So I wanna encourage you to do that. Also, I want to let you know, so some of you I may recognize, or you may recognize me, I was part of the Westworld campus for six years as a teaching pastor, but not too long ago, God really was stirring up uh, something new that God was trying to do in and through my life and ministry. So Dean brought uh, me over here to be part of the campus life team to really walk alongside people in their faith journey. Um, one of the ways that uh, I'm planning to do that is we've developed a bridge group for this January called Foundations, and it really is for people who are kind of at, you know, the beginning stage of their faith journey where they don't really know their Bible that well, or maybe for people who've been around for a while, but they just, they, like, what's the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament? How is the whole story from Genesis to Revelation work together as one? Who is God? What is the gospel? It's a Foundations class, so I want you guys to think that through. If you're interested in that, it'll come out in January. It'll be a six-week bridge group class and uh, I would love to see you there if that's applicable to your life so that said again grateful to be here with you I've been married for 26 years my wife Tammy we have two teenage daughters my oldest is down at Ohio State and my youngest is a junior in high school and I can tell you that in 26 years <laughs> decorating is different uh, my my wife started decorating for Christmas the day after Thanksgiving. That's what the deal was. I bring up the boxes, I set up the tree, and then she decorates the house, and then we take the, you know, I take all the boxes down and we watch It's a Wonderful Life. It's magical. That's what we did. But over time, as the kids have come along, that time frame of like the day after Thanksgiving has started to move and shift to the point where I don't know the difference between like Halloween and Christmas. And, and it's just all runs together. That's, that's the deal. Now, here's the thing though. My wife won't let me decorate anything. And this goes back, right? If I said to her, hey, what about this over here? What about this on the wall? She's like, stay in your lane, Ed. Like, <laughs> your lane, the boxes, my lane, the decorating. I'm like, well, but what about, what about? And it doesn't matter. It always gets trumped by one thing, the Afghan blanket. You guys know what an Afghan is? Usually someone crocheted it, uh, maybe it was grandma, and you have it, it's a nice little, you know, little rug that you have, a little, little blanket-ish, uh, but it's got the holes in it, and it's nice, right? Well, I had one of those before we got married, and it was not in great shape, 
and it wasn't, it was kind of ugly, honestly. It was like brown and orange and yellow all the way down. It had the big holes in it. It, it wasn't good for much of anything, except back then I lived with my brother. We were roommates, and in my room, I needed a curtain. I didn't have a curtain nor blinds, but you know what? That blanket fit perfectly in the sill. Like, it was perfect. Now, I had to get it up there somehow, and I had these extra leather shoestrings, so I cut the leather shoestrings, put them through the loops in the little crochet thing, and I put it up there, and it hung perfectly. Now, of course, when the sun would come up, it would come through the holes, but it was ambiance for me. It was awesome, right? Well, she says, Ed, you can't decorate because you put the Afghan blanket in the window. I'm like, it worked! Nevertheless, all right. She trumps me with that. Anyway, I, I bring it up. It's going to make sense. In me. I trust me. I'm a professional. You'll see. The series we're in is called Love's Pure Light. We're looking at the Christmas series, and, and we really do love Christmas at our house. Um, but in this series, we're talking about Advent. It's the coming of Christ into the world. He brings light into the world. And we've been talking about how that Jesus brings hope and joy and peace and faith. And today, we get to talk about peace. Now, when you and I think of peace, we typically are thinking about uh, the absence of conflict. So the absence of conflict or a tranquil feeling, uh, you know, no deadlines, no pressures, you know, that's what we think of when we think of peace. Almost uh, all of us could maybe imagine being on a beach, you know, the sun is shining, the, the breeze is flowing, the, the, the waves are crashing in, the birds are chirping, there's no deadlines, no problems, no situations, no responsibility, it's peace. That's what we think of when we think of peace. The problem is that type of peace only works until conflict arises. It only works until something happens. It dissipates very quickly as soon as something happens in our life that feels out of control. That type of peace doesn't work. So when it says that, that Christ came and he brought peace with him, it's a different kind of peace. And what I've learned over time and, and I've witnessed in people and I've tasted and seen myself is that there's a type of peace that God brings us through Christ that seems to transcend your mind. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, it seems to guard your heart in the midst of conflict, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of situations and, and diagnoses and, and things that happen in life. There seems to be a peace that transcends all of that. And what I've witnessed is that people who seem to understand this, they live differently. They live completely differently, and we look at them, and we admire them. We look at their faith and think, how? And they would all tell you the same thing. It's the peace of Christ. And so let's say you came in today, and maybe you're at the beginning of your journey of faith, and, and maybe, maybe you're listening online, and you're thinking, you know, I'm just trying to connect to God. Let me tell you what you have in common with me, because I've been a follower of Christ for a long time, and we have something in common. Do you know what that is? Deep down, we want that kind of peace in our life. Deep down, that's the kind of peace we want when situations get difficult. That's the kind of peace we want in our life when, when we have things that are out of control. And our normal common experience is typically not peace. Our common experience is anxiety and fear, trepidation, uneasiness. That's normal. That's a normal common experience for, for all humans. We need this kind of peace in our life. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. If you have a Bible, we're gonna look at Colossians chapter one. I'm gonna share three things as, as kind of just keep you tracking along. If you're looking at those sermon notes, it'll help you just kind of stay along with me. But at the end, we need God to speak to us about his peace. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Wherever you're at, I'm just gonna ask you to whisper a prayer to God. Just say, God, please speak to me in this time. Let me pray for all of us. Father, 
you know where we're at in our journey of faith. And all of us are at a different spot, but you know. So you know what brings us in here today. You know where we're struggling. You know where our fears are. You know where we need peace. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us all today. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you open up to Colossians chapter one, um, I'm gonna share three things. The first one is this. If we're gonna understand the peace that Christ brought into the world, we need to see this, that, that it all starts with knowing who Jesus really is. Dean's been sharing the last couple of weeks about this letter that Paul wrote to this church. And this church, he hadn't been there personally, but he knew of these people. And in this letter, he was trying to, to you know, encourage them, to teach them, and really challenge some of the ways they thought about God. So he kind of culminates here as we're heading into verse 15. He culminates with this idea that, that, you know, God brought us into the kingdom of his son, out of darkness and into the kingdom of the son. Why? Because he brought light into the world. And he makes this statement in verse 15 about Christ. And I think it's important enough that we should really focus on this one verse. Here's what he says. He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I want you to focus on this word first, the image of the invisible God. That's what I wanna focus on first. Now, this word image is where we get our word icon. Jesus is an iconic figure, but he's the image of the invisible God. Now, what Paul wrote is what you and I already know. You can't see God. They knew that, we know that. You don't see God, he's invisible. But if you could see the invisible God, you would see Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. If God walked in front of a mirror and you could see an image, you would look at Jesus. This should not surprise us because it's littered throughout the New Testament, but particularly there's one conversation that Jesus had with his disciples that made this very clear. Remember back in, uh, in John 14, he, he was telling them, look, I'm going away, but don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to prepare a place for you. My father's place has many mansions and I'm gonna prepare a place and come and get you. He's trying to calm them down because he had just told them that he's going to die. They're a little bit freaking out, right? But he's telling them, calm down. And they said, well, show us the way. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's telling them this, this incredible truth. And then on top of that, Philip, the disciple, says to him, all right, listen, just show us the Father and we'll be okay. And Jesus says, Philip, do you not know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because he's the image of the invisible God. He's not a representative of God. He's the manifestation of God himself in the world. Remember when we, we talk about on Christmas, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. He came into the world, he came into his creation. And that brings me to the second part of this. The firstborn of all creation. Now, when we think of firstborn, we typically think chronology. Who was the first one born? That's not what this is talking about, actually. In that culture, firstborn really held a lot of significance in the family. It was really meant about preeminence. And we're gonna see that in the context. He's gonna talk about he's also the firstborn from among the dead. That, that means he's over all of the people who've been resurrected. He wasn't the first one resurrected. He himself resurrected people, but he's over all of that. So when it talks about him being the firstborn of all creation, He's saying he is over all creation. And this, again, should not surprise us because we go all the way back to Psalm 89 when, when the Lord spoke through the Holy Spirit talking about David and the kings of Israel. He said, David is the firstborn from among the kings of Israel. Now, David wasn't even the first king. And he certainly wasn't the firstborn in his own family. 
It's talking about position. And here's the thing. People outside of the church, people who don't know much about Jesus, they make him out to be way too small. They think Jesus is just like, oh, he's a, he's a good teacher, right? Or, uh, you know, he's a good example to follow. They think he's too small. We're talking about the God of the universe come to be with man. He is God in the flesh. He is the firstborn over all creation. But here's the thing. Honestly, I think believers, people in the church make Jesus out to be too small. Here's why. We're talking about Jesus and you and I get a situation that we can't handle. We get a situation that seems out of control and the first thing we do is panic. We lose our peace. It's like we forget who Jesus is. We forget who it is who's trying to have a relationship with us. Let me explain it like this. Um, in, in my first year of marriage with Tammy, she comes to me, like, it was pretty early on, and she comes to me and she goes, Eddie, my dearest, my darling husband, I'm so grateful that you made me your wife, and I'm so happy, but I, I do have a request, and if you would just grant me this one request, I promise I would never ask for anything ever again. I'd be the happiest wife of all time. I'm like, Tam, what, what do you want? She goes, I want you to get us a proper bed. You see, I owned a super single waterbed, and it was awesome. It was a free flow kind, so when you sit in it, it's like you're, like, it's like you're on the ocean. You sleep on the ocean every night, and it's perfect temperature. Why would anyone not want that? Anyway, she didn't like it, because if you rolled over, I would roll her into the side, and she'd wake up. I mean, so I thought to myself, okay, I think husbands should probably honor their wives. So I bought her a queen-size bed, a normal bed, a proper bed, and she was totally happy for six weeks. And then six weeks, she comes to me, she goes, she goes, Edward, my dearest husband, I'm so happy that you, you married me and I'm such a happy wife. I'm so grateful, and, but I do have one request. And if you honored this one request, I, I'd never ask for anything again. I'm like, I'm seeing a pattern here. I think this is gonna be my whole marriage and consequently, that was anyway, nevertheless. She says to me, she goes, would you get us a puppy? You know, you travel a lot. It'd be great to have a dog around. I'm like, <sighs> so my brother-in-law actually saw a rescue puppy. Like one of his buddies from work or something had a puppy that had been abandoned. It was like six weeks old. It was super small. And it was a, uh, a black lab and a chow mix. So it looked like a big fur ball. It was just really tiny. And so when we saw it, his little yap and cry, like I knew this was going to be the dog because no way Tammy's turning down this dog. So we, we got this dog. And uh, when he was sitting down, his little leg was shaking and he, had, he was all black. I'm like, his little leg was shaking. I'm like, look, it's like Elvis. She goes, we should name him Presley. I'm like, Presley it is. So we, that's how we got Presley. Anyway, that first night, you know, he, we, we put him down on the, the, you know, the carpet and we're up in the bed and he's just crying with this little yappy puppy cry all night long. So we didn't really sleep much. The next morning, I thought I better take him out. So I went out on the front and I sat on the porch and he at first wouldn't leave. He was like right up on me and afraid. But he, over time, started to get a little bit of courage up and he started wandering into the grass and you know, kind of exploring and, and then something happened. Down the street, a human being was walking towards, this is like six in the morning. Now you guys aren't gonna believe this if you're a certain age, but these people would show up and they would bring newspapers to your house. They would just deliver them and put them on your porch. It was incredible, you get all the news. Anyway, nevertheless, this newspaper carrier is coming down the street and now Presley, who's out in the grass away from me, notices the human and is like, it starts to get nervous. Like I could see the dog getting nervous. So what does the dog do? 
the dog backs up, like slowly backs up till he gets right between my feet. And as soon as he gets between my feet, he lets out this six week old bark, like it was ferocious. And he's letting this newspaper carrier know, don't you come close because you're in danger, <laughs> right? He's, he's right between my feet and, and it occurred to me, exactly. Like you and I need to understand who we sit at. We need to understand who Jesus is. We're not talking about like some representative of God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords in a body. He came here on purpose to set us free, to bring light into the world. And let me tell you something about creation. The reason he could say to the wind and waves, calm down, and they obeyed. The reason he could walk on water and it would obey. The reason he could say to Lazarus, come out of the tomb, is because he is the firstborn over all creation. And you and I are gonna figure out what our bark is when we understand who he is. You're not gonna get peace until you get who he is. He is a powerful, powerful, powerful God. And secondly, it helps to understand how the pieces fit together. Here's what Paul says next, verse 16. For by him, talking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So let's start with that first part. All things were created in heaven and on earth. So way back to Genesis, when you read, and God created, that was Jesus. Jesus was designing in his mind and speaking it into existence and creating things and inventing things. So everything that you know, everything that we've witnessed, like scientists have looked at you know, the cosmos and they've seen the planets and solar systems and, and the things that you and I witness on earth that, that we're amazed by, right? The Grand Canyon, oceans, you know, like the, the sunsets. I mean, we see things that are amazing and, and they look at things that we can't see, like, like DNA. Everything that was made, he thought about and he made it. He created all things that we can see. He also created all the things that we can't see. So rulers, principalities, powers, all the things. He created everything. And here's where I want you to see. All things were created through him and for him. Everything that was created was created through him and for him. Do you know what that means? He created everything on purpose. Everything that was made, he actually thought about, took time with, and made it on purpose. And do you know what that means to you and I? He made you on purpose. You know, we spend a lot of our lives trying to figure out what makes us valuable. It starts in grade school, right? We go to school and we think, okay, who's the smartest? Who's the prettiest? Who's the best athlete? Who's the most popular? And, and we live out trying to figure out where do we fit in the social dynamic, which makes us feel safe and comfortable in our social dynamic because we want to feel valuable in our social circle, right? That's what we think in grade school. And then we graduate and we're way smarter and more mature. Who has the best spouse? Who has the most money? Who has the nicest house? Who has the best kids? Who has the most accomplished kids? Like, we take our time. Who's the best vacation? I mean, we do all this stuff to try to tell ourselves that we're valuable so that we feel like we have peace in our life. But you understand, he made you on purpose. He thought about you. He took time to think about you particularly. He made you on purpose. The skills that you have, the, the gifts that you have, he made you on purpose. You know, the, the scriptures talk about he, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He literally made you, fearfully and wonderfully made you on purpose. You are valuable because the king of kings made you. And here's the other part of the piece, how it fits together. You were made by him and for him. That means you were made for a purpose. We try to find meaning in this world by doing things that we think will give us meaning. 
And when we feel like we can't have meaning, we feel lost and we have a lack of peace in our soul. But you understand, he made you for a purpose. You were made on purpose and you were made for a purpose. That's the reality. I think trying to find purpose and meaning apart from the one who created you is like trying to fit an Afghan blanket into a windowsill. Can it work? Yes. Can you make your life work? Yes, but it doesn't fit because the pieces weren't organized that way. And the reason we experience such a lack of peace is because we're out of alignment and we feel it. The pieces don't work. I, I was thinking about this and I wanted to write this down. Our default, our default setting in life is to want God to fit the pieces around our preferred future. We have a way in which we believe our future should be, the way our, you know, our relationships are going to go, the way our health is going to go, the way our finances are going to go, like this is how our kids are going to go. Like we all have this idea in our mind, this is what we're supposed to do, and we pray, God, please be in my preferred future. Make everything work. Organize all the pieces that you're doing so that this works exactly the way I want it, because anything that threatens that idea of our preferred future usually causes us a lack of peace in our life. This is the problem. It's out of alignment with what God's actually trying to do. You're never going to have peace until you understand how the pieces actually fit together, and we're part of that. All right, so then how do we get back to the peace? Like, what is it? And here's what I want to share with you is that true peace, true peace is knowing God and where we fit in his plan. It's twofold. True peace is knowing, <laughs> knowing God and where we fit in his plan. Here's what Paul writes, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's my point I was making about the context of being the firstborn. He is preeminent over creation. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It was God's plan all along to send his own son to be part of the plan of rescue, and we'll get to that, but it pleased God to put himself into a human body. The son would come. Verse 20, and, and here's the point, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, by the blood of his cross. So, all right, we get that. He's preeminent. He's over all creation. He's God in the flesh. What is he doing? He's making peace, and here's our word. He's making peace. Now, the only way you need peace is if there's a problem, and there is a problem. You see, when sin entered the world, sin broke everything it touched. There's a curse on the world, and we recognize that. Like, you and I recognize that there's something wrong, there's something very broken. We can watch the news and see that human beings do things to each other they should never do. There's brokenness that's impacting the world. It's it's everywhere, right? And it's every generation. But it's all beyond that, that we see that there's a lack of peace even in the way things are created. Natural disasters, disease, things that our bodies weren't meant for. That was never supposed to happen, and yet we see that there's brokenness in the world. And it goes further than that, and this is the reality. We feel a lack of peace inside. You see, God is a holy God. And he is eternal and forever. And you know what? Heaven's doing just fine. But he wants us to be in relationship with him. Do you know what sin does? It breaks that relationship. 
And he doesn't just sweep it under the carpet, right? To, in order for us to be with him eternally in relationship, to know him, he sent his son down to pay the penalty for sin. Would be, you know, taken care of on the cross. You and I could not do that for ourselves. And we feel that brokenness between us and God because that's what sin does in us. And here's what we do. We try to justify it. We look at someone else and think, well, they're really bad. Well, that person's really bad. I'm not as bad as that person. Like we justify it, but deep down, it doesn't solve that ache in our soul. So here's what happens. He sends his son to pay the penalty for sin. So the justice of God prevails. And because he rose from the grave, the grace and mercy of God is now exclaimed to us by his Holy Spirit and through the word of God. When we hear the message of the truth of what he did on the cross and by his resurrection, when we hear that and receive that into our soul, his blood making peace by the blood of his cross, that's what we looked at, that peace is afforded to us and his blood washes away our sin. And when that happens, there's no more animosity between God and us. We have peace, we know him personally. Not religion, not showing up and going to church, not trying to be a good person. Those things aren't bad but they don't solve the problem of peace in your soul. So first and foremost, we need to know God through Jesus Christ. He is the way to the Father. But there's another side of this coin of peace. You see, if you're here today or you're listening in and you've never made that decision to follow Christ, that's your step today. That's your step to embrace his peace is to become a follower of Christ, to receive his grace and mercy. That's your step to say, you know what? Today's gonna be my day. That's what you need to do. But for most of us in this room, the truth is we already know that. Maybe we've had a moment way back here where we've already decided to become a follower of Christ. We heard the truth of the gospel. We allow that to invade our heart, but yet we still experience a lack of peace, right? Do you know why that is? Because we don't understand the plan. His plan is that he's reconciling all things things that we see and things that we don't see, all of creation and all of heaven. He's reconciling that to himself through peace made by the blood of his cross. That means one day, and he's in process, but one day everything that we know of is gonna come together and be exactly the way that God wills it. It's gonna work perfectly. You and I aren't gonna experience this lack of peace or brokenness or the struggle of the lack of peace in our soul. We're not gonna experience that, but that day is not here yet but yet he offers us a peace in knowing his plan and not fighting against it. Because here's his plan, is to reconcile the whole world to himself. Do you know what that means? That once you become a believer, once you follow Christ, you now are part of the plan of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors of reconciliation. So when you become a believer, he actually wants to use your life to point people to God. Think about it. That's what we talk about at LifePoint all the time, right? We draw life from God in the gospel and then we point others to him. That's what that means. Our lives matter on purpose. And you and I, we look at circumstances and situations that we're out of control and a lot of times we panic. We have a lack of peace. Here's what God is affording to us. He's saying, look, when you present your request to God, when you take the struggles of your life and you hand them off to God, say, all right, God, do you see this, what I'm seeing? Do you, do you understand what's happening in my life? I'm gonna hand this to you. I'm gonna give this to you. I'm gonna present my request to you. And then you align with what God's actually doing. You say, all right, God, I'm actually gonna thank you for it. Why? Because I know you're trying to do something here. And there is nothing more powerful in pointing people to God than those who have peace in the midst of circumstances that are difficult. There is nothing more powerful than watching a believer trust in God in the midst of difficulty. And I've witnessed people who seem to have the deepest relationship with God and they'll all say the same thing. 
It was in those crisis moments that God taught me to trust in him, and that's where my peace comes from. Why? Because God wants us to live differently. He wants to use our life. That means that even the difficult circumstances are on purpose. I'm not saying he creates all those things, but he uses all those things together for the good for those who are called according to his purposes. He wants to use those things in our life to reconcile others to himself. I think his peace in knowing God will allow you to to embrace what he's actually trying to do. I wanted to figure out how to give you an example of this that I've witnessed. Um, and I, I heard about a story a couple years ago, and I thought, man, this is really a good example. It's an extreme example, but it's a great example of someone who understands the peace of God. Because I believe the peace of God will allow you to live radically. Like the way you love people, the way you care about people, the way you forgive people, like it's just different when you understand God's trying to do something in and through you. This example comes from Dallas, Texas, um, a couple years ago. This this woman, her name is Amber Geiger, she's a police officer. She comes home from work after working a double shift. She's extremely tired and exhausted. There may have been alcohol involved. It's not exactly proven. She comes home and she goes to her apartment. She gets off on the wrong floor, goes to what she believes is her apartment, and the doors open. She immediately is alarmed, goes in, sees a man in what she believes is her living room, and she shoots him. He dies. She calls 911 frantically, realizing this is not her apartment. The man, 26-year-old Botham Jean, this is the guy who was a follower of Christ, sang in his choir at church, college graduate, incredible guy in the community, lost his life tragically to this whole situation. And over the course of the next year, of course, she went to jail, and then there's going to be a trial, and she's going to be charged, and she's going to be convicted. And at, at, once she's convicted, there's a moment that she's going to be sentenced, and the judge allowed family members to come up and speak and talk about what they've lost, talk to Amber about what they've lost. Well, one of the people who got up to speak was Botham's little brother named Brant. Brant was an 18-year-old young man, and by his own words, he hated Amber. He was mad at her for taking away the brother in which he idolized. He loved his brother. They were great friends and like he was angry until she apologized. And when she apologized, that's when he was convicted in his faith. And so what was he gonna say to this woman who stole his brother? Here's what he said on the stand. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. 
I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. It's an extreme situation, can you imagine? But understanding where he fits, he knows God, allows God to speak into him. He has a peace to do something that transcends the mind and the heart. It's almost as if the peace of God protects him. He's able to do the very thing that Christ would do, to offer what should have been his enemy, forgiveness and love and embrace. It's unbelievable. Is there anything more powerful? And isn't it true that maybe the reason you're here today is because there's been someone in your life that lives this out? Someone that seems a little bit different. Most people are invited by someone or they've been prayed for by that person because they understand. This is what God is trying to do in you. He's trying to give you the peace that transcends, even boggles the mind protects you in the midst of situations that you can't control that are sometimes devastating. And there's two sides to this coin. Like I say, that if you came in today or you're listening online and you feel like, you know, I don't think I've ever connected to God. And maybe you thought listening in or coming today might, you know, might help in your relationship with God. There's a stress in your soul. There's a lack of peace in your soul because of what sin has done. And your father in heaven loves you so much, he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for sin. He did his part to come to you, but he won't bully you. The way to solve that peace issue is to simply receive the grace and mercy of God by faith. Your step, maybe in the same way that, that Brant was telling Amber that she should give her life to Christ, maybe the reason you're listening in today is because God wants to get that message to you. It's time. It's time to make it right with God by what he did on the cross. I can help you do that. I'll help lead you through a prayer in a minute. It's a step of faith. I'll help you in a minute. But I've got to say that most of us in this room, though, isn't it true that the reason we have a lack of peace isn't that part of it? It's that our lives get out of alignment. That we start thinking about our preferred future and think, God, please bless my plan because I have a plan and this is what I want, God. Will you please bless that? Look, he's a dad. He understands that we have plans. But I think what he's doing, it's, it's almost as if he explained this to us up front. Hey, here's how you should pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. It's like he's training us to think, all right, God, your kingdom first, your will be done on earth just as in heaven. God, let your will be done in my life just as it's being done in heaven. Everything works the way you want. Help me to cooperate. Use my life. And the reason we feel lack of peace is because 
we struggle fighting for control over our preferred future. And I think if we really understand who he is, we could just simply say, okay, here's my future. All right, God. God, it's yours. And the way we find peace is when we surrender our future to God. I'm not discounting that there are things that we go through that are super difficult and even sometimes mind-bending. What I am saying is that if when we invite God in and give him control, somehow his peace transcends our understanding. It actually guards us from the inside out and gives us a peace that we really need in the midst of struggle. Wherever you're at today, I wanna help you take a step. So here, here's what we're gonna do as we finish up, we're getting ready to sing a song. I'm gonna ask us to stand and pray together. So let's do that, let's stand. Just wherever you're at, and maybe as I was talking, there's something else going on in your heart that has nothing to do with what I said. Here's what I want you to do in this moment. I want you to take a second and just talk to God about that. But for everyone else in the room, I'm gonna ask you to kind of close your eyes and bow your head. Let's have a moment with God together. I wanna address that if, if you would say, you know, I don't know that I've ever made it right with God. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Taking a step of faith really is a pretty easy step. He, he wants you to come to him. The way that you please God is with faith. The way that you can do that is just simply say to God right now, say, Father in heaven, I believe in you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus and that he died on a cross and that he rose from the grave. Tell him. Maybe you've always believed that. Tell him anyway. Just say, God, I believe. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's how you can call on him. You just simply say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I'm calling on you right now. Would you forgive me of my sin? This is where you have to own it. You own the brokenness by saying, Jesus, I know I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you lead me? Help me to follow. Will you please accept this simple step of faith, Jesus? I'm asking. You need to know that simple step of faith is what makes you right with God. Trying to be a good person and trying to be religious, going to church, those things are not what gets you right with God. He provided a way, he's the way. And by receiving that in faith, what it means is that you become a follower of Christ, that when you sense him leading, you simply try to follow. He'll lead you. One of the first things that he said was that, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the angels in heaven, before the Father. So that's an easy first step to take. I'm gonna ask you that if you just pray that prayer and you wanna follow Christ and you wanna acknowledge him, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that. It's pretty simple. Just between you and me and God, I want you to acknowledge, say, Ed, I want you to see, and God, I want you to see. I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up and say, today was my day, Ed, I want you to see, and God in heaven, I want you to see. If that's you, anywhere in the room, lift your hand up high enough I can see. Yes, thank you. Anyone else, raise your hand up high and say, today was my day, and Ed, I want you to see, and God, I want you to see. Yes, I see you there. May put your hand down. God, I, I thank you so much for these folks who are taking first steps with you, that you would walk with them in their faith journey. God, meet them where they're at. Grant them your peace of forgiveness, of being made right with the Father. Help them to take steps with you. 
And if you're here, and maybe you're like me, and you struggle with alignment, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I want you to think of your preferred future. Think of the way you have your life planned out. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Imagine taking that whole thing in your hands, the control over your future, and sliding it across the table to God the Father right now, and say, God, I'm giving you my future. I'm relinquishing control, and I'm allowing you, God, to to be in charge. I wanna cooperate with you, Father. Help me to follow you. Father, I pray for those of us in this room that struggle with this, that you would meet us where we're at, that you would have your way with us, that you would use us as your ambassadors of reconciliation, that as you shine light on us, it would shine on others. God, we don't wanna be the Afghan blanket that doesn't work. We wanna be your vessels of your glory. And God, I know there are people in this room that are struggling with things that hurts and pains and diagnosis and strife and relationship stuff. God, I pray you would meet them where they're at and walk with them in the midst of this. Grant them a peace that transcends their understanding that will guard their heart and their mind in you, Christ Jesus. And we ask that in your son's holy name. Amen.